You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. All right, lovely people. So today's thing, uh, today's word isn't really a preaching word, um, and it just feels weird to stand up here while you sit there, and it just seems to be just disconnected. So I'm going to sit here, which I've done this many times, uh, and I'd like to have a little bit of a conversation with you. Uh, so uh, we're going we're gonna to really get into a lot of scripture again, as always. But I'd like, to, I'd like some involvement from you as well. So just consider this like a little Bible study, uh, and, and we'll go from there. So first things first, we have our Connections picnic right after this gathering. So women, Mary students, if you will, please stick around and eat a free lunch and hang out with those of us who are going to be able to be here. For those in um, the body who want to be present to meet college students, who are interested in even connecting with college students, Please stick around and do the same, even if it's not very long. I do know that there's a lot of people in the Connections Ministry, a lot of the um, adults who are the residents who are in the Connections Ministry who are out of town today. Um, And so I know that there are many who won't be here, but stick around. And even, you know, if you just want a free sandwich and chips and stuff, just stick around. Uh, It'll be good. So hopefully you'll all stick around. But what we do need is when this service is over, we'll need to at least clear out half of the chairs. So if you will, please... Somebody help us clear out half the chairs. Otherwise, LaTanya has to do it by herself with Casey, and that's just going to be hard for for both of them to just do it by themselves um, while Rob supervises them. It's just awkward, just very awkward. Um, But no, if you can stick around, that would be be helpful. It's more like LaTanya supervises us if you really want to know how this this works. All right, so y'all good? All right, so let's do this. Um, Scripture up here. I want to start out with this. Everybody, let's read it together. Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Okay, what does that mean? This is that participation part I was asking for earlier, just in case. What does that mean? Going once. Okay, one person can make, one strong person can make another one stronger. Okay, that, it could mean that. What else could it mean? That, that, that you lift up those around you. I think part of what it means is that it's impossible for one tool to become sharper without the presence of the other. I mean, literally, iron that is not sharpened by other iron just becomes dull. The reality is many of us live dulled lives because we aren't connected in community. And sometimes we aren't connected in community because we're looking for like-mindedness. What this text invites us to understand is we become part of what we are around. We are the company we keep. We are made for social connection, and therefore we're made to be influenced socially. So here's what I want to say. We're made for groupthink. We are. And I know we live in a society, an American ideology, where we highly value individual thought. Now, I want to say I'm pro-individual thought, all right, just like I'm pro that. Matter of fact, I'm pro-critical thinking. And right now, we have a society that's afraid of anything with the word critical in front of it and the word theory at the end of it, you know, like critical race theory, because we don't know what it means. And so we make all of these assumptions because we aren't willing to think, you ready, critically. And so a lot of times what ends up happening is we make these allegations on what these things are because we are actually wired for groupthink. Groupthink is a biblical wiring. 
biblical ideal divine wiring. But let me explain what I mean and what I don't mean. By groupthink, I do not mean conformity. I mean commonality. You see the difference? We live in this moment in American culture where we believe the highest value of our human existence is autonomy, is absolute independence. And I mean, I can get down with the fact that we all have our own will and we can exercise our will, but for Christians, who we submitted our lives to? This is an easy answer. Jesus. And so we're only autonomous to the degree that we've placed our lives in submission to Jesus. It's kind of tricky living in a democratic republic when you're a citizen of a monarchy, isn't it? For those who aren't catching that, I mean the kingdom of God. Where we're tethered to one another. We're made that way. We are made literally neuroscience. We talked about this last week. Neurobiologically, we have this attachment center in our brain. We are made to bond with people. And we're made to bond with people who are glad to be with us. And guess who's going to be glad to be with us? People that we largely agree with. I mean, I doubt any of you woke up and said, yo, I got to find some friends that I want to hang out with who absolutely do not agree with anything I believe. Like, I don't think anybody woke up and said, "Woo, man, I want to hang out with Larry. But first, does he disagree with everything I believe? Because if he does, I really want to be his friend. Like, that's not generally how we are wired. We're generally disposed toward affinity groups. We're disposed toward like-mindedness. And there's nothing wrong with that. Because we are the company we keep. So this is just more than we are longing for relationship. This is we're longing for relationship that reaffirms the things that I believe in the world, that supports what I hold. I am not suggesting that we don't look for people who disagree with us and we want to befriend them. I am saying that it is a natural bent to be drawn toward people with whom we have things in common. Am I wrong or what do y'all think? Y'all good? I mean, y'all feel like that's there's, we're kind of in the ballpark, a little ish there? So as iron sharpens iron, what's it say? So one person sharpens another. Because we are influenced and we are shaped by the company we keep. And that is a divine wiring in the attachments that found in the attachment centers of our brain, primarily dominant in the right hemisphere where we relate to people. But it is also a theological reality. So to demonstrate that, I want to throw a bunch of Bible verses at you because I've done that the last two weeks and I kind of find it fun. But I want you to read it with me. All right, so Proverbs, the writer of the wisdom sayings in Proverbs off of these words. Let's read it together. I'll, I'll poke you in. So ready? Whoever walks with the what? Wise. Becomes what? Wise. But the companion of fools? So why is it when you walk with the wise, you'll become wise? How does that work? It rubs off. Because we are the company we keep. You walk with wise people, you'll learn the wise way. You'll do the wise things because you'll see what they do. You'll follow that way. But if you hang out with fools, what's it say? You'll suffer harm. You'll go the way of fools. We are the company we keep. So before any of us push back on the notion that I'm, an, I'm a completely autonomous individual and I can make up my own decisions about everything, I mean, really? Like entirely? I mean, don't you inherit some values and some knowledge and some concepts? Everybody say concepts. concepts. Haven't you inherited concepts by which you have built certain values and, and norms and understandings that then provoke certain emotions? As iron sharpens iron, so another person sharpens another. But that's not all. Those who heed instruction are on the way to what? Life. 
But those who ignore correction lose their what? So if you're heeding instruction, you can be like, I'm on the way to life. But there are some of us who don't like instruction. We live in a I do me, you do you kind of society, right? That's how we live. Like, like you do you, bro. But really? Because you're never just doing that without somebody else. You're finding other people who are doing the same thing. Because you're, we were, we're wired that way. We're disposed toward that direction. The righteous, which is the word for just, okay, a nerd moment. The word righteous here in the Hebrew is sedekah, sedekah, or sedek means social justice. So it means the one who does justice on social levels. Are you reading it? You hear me? Yes, for those who are new to WCC, social justice is a theological and biblical framework. It is there, always has been, embedded in the words. Those who do justice on social neighbor-to-neighbor levels are guidance, provide guidance to their neighbors. How is that possible? Because we see what good is. But the path of the wicked make them what? Wander. All right, now this is for all of us right now who have friends or even find ourselves falling into the trap of conspiracy theory. And I speak to this very seriously. Conspiracy theory is a pathology of the mind where we do not believe what is true or we only have, we have this big hermeneutic of suspicion where we don't believe anything other than, you ready, what we want to believe. And by the way, what do we do? Do we find people who don't believe what we want to believe or do we find people who do believe what we want to believe? Which one? That's all I'm saying. That's why conspiracy theories, conspiracy theories and conspiracy groups like a QAnon and those kind of things, all the way to others like the James Jones cult back in the day, or even all the way others like the Manson family, like in all them, that's why they always do it in groups. It's never like one dude who stands up and says, you know, I lead a cult by myself. Like there's always, it's always group think. So it's always a part of, of the fabric of the human condition. And so look at what the proverb says, a contrary person, what? Spreads what? Oh, next slide. Contrary person spreads what? Conflict. And the gossip separates close friends. How about this one? Don't befriend people controlled by anger. Don't associate with hot-tempered people. Otherwise, what? Let's read it together. You will learn their ways and become entangled. We are divinely wired for influence. This is why you don't hang out with hot-tempered people. Have you ever hung out with a hot-tempered person? They get mad, and all of a sudden, you get mad, too, just because they're mad? You're like, what are you mad at? Oh, I'm just mad. At, I'm mad, too. Right? Like, let's be mad together. And they're just, like, mad for some reason. Why are you mad? I don't know. Latanya's mad. Why is Latanya mad? Because Casey's mad. Why is Casey mad? Because Rob's mad. And we just all end up mad together. Right? Like, that's how this works. We are the company we keep. And so we must be careful with the company we keep. Because as iron sharpens iron, what? So one person sharpens another. So Paul, quoting my grandma, says this. Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. Right? 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Bad company corrupts good character. Because we become part of what we are around, whether it's moral or immoral. It has influence. We are made that way. And it's okay. Which is why the scriptures take a lot of time and say, you need to be careful with the company you keep. You are not as autonomous as you think you are. Back when I was a stockbroker, uh, I had to wear ties every day, obviously in suits and the whole thing, the whole bit. 
and there was this show called Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And there was this guy named Regis Fieldman, and he was on this show all the time. And he started wearing these solid color, solid color ties, and they kind of glimmered, and they were sharp looking. At first when I saw him, because he used to watch the show, I'd be like, man, those ties are just kind of janky. And then I was like, man, eh, whatever, and I'd wear my tie. But then all of a sudden, I'd be at the store looking to buy a new tie, and guess what kind of tie I'd buy? A tie to look like that. Next thing I know, I'm like wearing Regis Fieldman ties. How many times have you seen a car that you liked and then all of a sudden you start seeing that car everywhere? Raise your hand. Right. Why do you think that is? <laughs> it's the same principle at work in your brains. Because it's about affection and affinity and connection. They, I doubt there was a, all of a sudden a run on those Regis Fieldman ties. I mean, there was, and I was a part of the run. But my point is you start seeing these things everywhere because we're made this way. We become part of what we are around, whether it's moral or immoral. So much so that Paul would say then, do not be what? Conformed to this world, but be what? But by what? By the renewal of your mind. So when we talk about us being wired toward this kind of group think, that we are formed by social influence, that we are a part of what we are around, whether moral or immoral, that we are the company we keep, we're not talking about conformity. We're talking about commonality because we're looking for people or for things or for ideas or beliefs in which we can relate or identify. Are you with me on that? I want to say that again. With which we can relate or identify. And so when we can relate to it and identify with it, and it sounds a lot like us, it makes us feel good because then we find people who we're glad to be with and who are glad to be with us because let's, again, be honest, we don't particularly want to hang out with people that we don't agree with all the time because we're not as glad to be with them, and they may not be glad to be with us. So we go to where we are wanted, or I believe we're wanted, that's probably more the accurate statement, believe we're wanted, and accepted. And we're made this way. So Paul, knowing this, it seems, knowing that we are wired to be drawn toward like-minded groups and for social influence, Paul offers these words to Christ followers. And I think he wants us to lean into these words. Now, I'm just going to read a bunch of verses. But I want you to see how Paul is giving direction. Everybody say direction. More specifically, Paul is giving ethical direction to the community because Paul knows in Christianity we actually aren't drawn together because of our commonalities. We're drawn together because of one primary commonality, and that is who? Yes, you got that. I'm proud of y'all. Like first gathering was like, uh, Jesus? Yeah, Jesus. We're drawn together because of Christ. Christ becomes the organizing principle of our relationships in this space. Otherwise, why would any of us actually, I mean, why would you hang out with, like, why would anybody be, like, why would we be here if there wasn't something bigger drawing us here? And Paul knows that our tendency may be to be together, me and Jimmy, because of our confession in Christ. But if Jimmy and I don't see things in similar ways, then my tendency may be to go back toward affinity groups or like-minded groups that may be contrary to Jimmy's own body. It may be contrary to Jimmy's own beliefs. It may be contrary to how Jimmy understands life and the world for him. And so Paul gives these commands as kind of an ethical trajectory, as a direction. And he says, instruct one another. Because to be together, we need what? Instruction. He says, have mutual. Everybody say mutual. Mutual concern for one another. 
Serve one another in love. He goes on, he says, suffer long with one another in patience and love. We need that because if we aren't told to suffer long with one another in patience and love, you know what we'll do the moment it gets hard in a church? We'll dip out. When we start disagreeing, we'll go. We'll just change churches. You know what they couldn't do in the early church when they didn't, disagree, when they didn't agree and get along? They couldn't change churches because there were not churches on the corner of every street. They were like seven miles up the road. Take you three days to get there. And so Paul calls us into this place. And then he says, speak to one another in, say it with me, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Did you know the music isn't just for your entertainment? Did you know the music isn't just for your emotions? Did you know the music, hear me out, the music isn't up for your judgment? Oh, now. Oh, Fred, now you're now you stepping on my toes. Because I don't like that song they just did, but I really wish they'd do that other song. Music is designed to also be an instructing experience as well. Teaching one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. There's a teaching component to the music. Which is why, by the way, to all the musicians in the room, we need theologically deep music. We need music that has lyrics, that talks about justice, that talks about lament, that talks about the goodness and the character of God. We need more than just Jesus is my boyfriend Christian songs. Like, we need, we need more than the warm and fuzzy, lovey-dovey kind of stuff. We need depth in our music. Amen. It isn't just always about a spiritual pep rally. It is about being formed together. So, Ephesians 5, 19, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is why a stated value of WCC is mutual submission. Because we are called to mutuality in our submission with one another. That is the call of Christ on our lives. If I have placed my life in submission to Jesus, and Laura has placed her life in submission to Jesus, and the ground is level at the foot of the cross, and the seats at the table are equal and equitable, then I am to submit my life to Laura, and Laura submit her life to me, because we're called to mutual submission. And by the way, this verse to mutual submission within the church is the verse before all the husband and wife submission texts. So it'd be real good to read household codes within Paul's higher ethic. Does that make sense? Just, we have to read the whole text. He goes on to say, in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Well, that's problematic. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Teach, here's one, teach and warn each other with all wisdom. Here we go, by singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Make your love increase and overflow to each other. Love each other. Encourage one another. Build each other up. Do you see the principle? That there is an ethical commitment that the community of God has to have because Paul knows that we are divinely wired literally in our brains and our nervous systems and in our bodies as well as in our minds and our hearts and our souls to be influenced by the company we keep. Which is why it's important that you keep good company. If the company you keep isn't helping you see Jesus more clearly, then beloved, with all respect and love, find different company. Be with them in different ways. You still got to be with them in different ways. But surround yourself with people who are going to give you glimpses of heaven. 
rather than sight and vision directly into the pits of hell. The Holy Spirit, with other writers of Scripture, add to this and says, Encourage one another daily. Spur one another toward love and good deeds. Don't grumble against each other. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other. In the next text, love one another deeply from the heart. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. And you ready for this? Love one another, 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 love one another. What do you think John's trying to say? I think so. I think John's like, y'all getting this? Like, this is all in 1 John. Like, 1 John would be asked to resign his preachership in some place. God's like, bro, why are you not? Why are you always preaching love one another? Because love's got to look like something. Because we are naturally disposed toward the influence of the company we keep. But we can be thoughtful about the company we keep. Which is why I think it's important for us to surround ourselves with people who disagree with us too. You want to know what I love about this church? Is we don't all agree. It's one of the strengths of WCC. That we don't all agree. Because it keeps us sharp. It keeps us awake. It makes us more thoughtful. It makes me have to come to Glenn and say, help me understand where you're coming from. Let's open the Bible together. It's important that we not surround ourselves with people who just think like us, but it is important that we have a significant amount of people who hold something in common with us, and that commonality has to be more than just political ideology. That commonality has to be what Christ says about the world because there are ideologies out there that have Jesus' name on it that are anti-Christ. One of those is Christian nationalism. It's anti-Christ. It looks good, it sounds good, it even smells good because it goes to church and it offers prayers and it plays maybe even the same praise songs we do. But it's not the Christ of the cross. It's not the Christ of a kingdom. It's the Christ of a nation that isn't the holy nation Peter's actually talking about, which is the kingdom. This makes Christian nationalism so dangerous. Beloved, beware of these false teachings and false Jesuses that are among us. Matter of fact, in droves. Now, I was telling first service last night, I stayed up. I never sleep on Saturday nights. And so I was scrolling through trying to find Christian artists who weren't subtly promoting or associated with Christian nationalist movements. And it's like Christian music has just become overwhelmed with it by now. It's bizarre. See, some of you know what I'm talking about because you've seen your favorite artists like holding up to that kind of dangerous ideology. That's not Jesus. Jesus is not trying to make America great again. Jesus is trying to make Christians love faithfully again. It's just what it is. Because that's what Christ is about. And that has never changed. So, it's why Paul gets a little salty in some of his writings. You think I get salty. You taste Paul. 
Because listen to what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, because that brother names names, all right? Listen to what he says. He says, make an effort. Now, he's talking to Timothy, who's a young pastor, and I think that context matters. He says, Timothy, make an effort to present yourself to God as a tried and true worker who does not need to be ashamed, but as one who interprets the message of truth correctly. Do you see that? So if you can interpret the message of the truth correctly, what does that naturally infer? That you can interpret the message of the truth what? Incorrectly. And so Paul says, I want you to make every effort to make sure that the things you're saying isn't interpreted correctly. But here's the thing. We can't interpret a message we don't know. If you and I are never in the scriptures, if we don't know the Bible, if the only Bible you know comes from my lips, then by all means, please open yours. That is why we have a community. That is why we have missional communities and small groups. That's why we have Theology Thursday, so that what I say can be taken to task. Steve disagrees with me at least once a week. And he's smarter than me, so I just submit. The point of Theology Thursday is to hammer the stuff out together, not to let me sit up here and sound like I'm the only one who knows something about the Bible when you have the Holy Spirit too. But we have to open what? We have to open the Bible. We have to look in the scripture. So Paul says, interpret it better. Now here's what he says. Look, he says, avoid their godless discussions. Do you see that? Now we're going to talk about the there in a minute. The there that the people he's talking about are people who are presenting a version of Christ that isn't true. And so he says, avoid their godless discussions. Beloved, there are some discussions you just don't need to play with. Just step away. Don't take the bait. If it's conspiracy theory discussions, don't take the bait. Love them. Love them fully and faithfully. Don't take the bait. Avoid the discussion. It will do more harm than good to everybody who watches it play out on Facebook or Instagram or in the kitchen table. Matter of fact, my rule is I don't talk about biblical things without Bible open. I'm serious. If we're not going to get together and open up scripture, then I'm probably not going to be very helpful because we're all going to start taking a fortune cookie approach to scripture. And we're going to be like, I know it's in the Bible somewhere. Well, it may not be. So let's open it up. But he says, avoid their godless discussions because they will lead many into ungodly behavior. You see that? Like insurrections, that kind of ungodly behavior. And he says, and their ideas will spread, say it with me, like an infection. This kind of gets back to what Paul said. He said, people who want to hear their own version of truth will get itchy ears and they'll surround themselves with people who tell them what they want to hear. You with me? Because we're naturally wired that way. We are naturally disposed toward like-minded thinking. And we have to be wise. Everybody say wise. And we have to be thoughtful. Everybody say thoughtful. All I am asking Williamsburg Christian Church to do as a subtext to this larger text is just let's commit to being thoughtful, especially as we start entering more deeply into political seasons where we're willing and tempted to slay one brother for another, one sister for another, where we're willing to dehumanize and demean and dismiss 
one another. There are some conversations you ought not participate in because it will not be fruitful. And there are some conversations you should participate in. But whether you participate or don't participate, your primary ethic has to always be love. And that's hard. But that's our call. And if any of them ever want to come to the table, then they are welcome to the table just like me and you. Not my blood, not my body, not my table, not yours either, right? And that's what makes us whole, is that all people actually are welcomed. But even still, you got to name a thing a thing. And if it's false, we've got to be willing to say it's false, and we've got to be able to see in Jesus Christ that it is false. Because look at what he says. He says, it will spread like an infection. And so then he names names. This includes Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have deviated from the truth, claiming that the resurrection has already happened. This has undermined some people's faith. So what do you see Paul doing here? He's naming names. Because it's that serious for Paul. I bet some people are like, Paul, was that really necessary? And Paul said, I said it would spread like an infection, didn't I? So Paul knows that this is a reality in which we live. And what I would say to us is when we understand that we are wired toward groupthink, that we are disposed toward social influence, we have to be mindful of the fact that some people will call us all kinds of things because of our refusal to enter into certain conversations or because of our refusal to agree. If I had a nickel for every time somebody said I didn't listen simply because I didn't agree with them, I could pay your rent. I heard you. I just don't agree with you. That's what Paul's saying. And so he says... To make our peace with it when he says in 2 Timothy 2.19, God's solid foundation is still standing with this sign. The Lord knows the people who belong to him and everyone who confesses the Lord's name must avoid wickedness. So now why do I say all that? It's almost like I gave two messages. Why do I say all that? Because we are the company. We become a part of the company we keep. And we are made that way. But what is also true about who we are is also true about our emotions. Everybody say emotions. Our emotions are also, there's a part of our emotions that are also socially constructed. For example, if I'm raised as a child to be ta- and I'm taught that to show emotion in public is to show weakness, how will I equate emotion as what? Weakness. And so when I'm in public and I feel emotion, what will I not show? Emotion, because if I do, that will show what? So therefore, I will think that when I'm feeling a feels and I'm in a public environment and I show emotion, I must not be weak. Instead, I must choose to be what? Strong. Or I must be brave. Now, like this picture on this in this book that was, that's uh, from the Little Critters, a series, uh, this particular book is called Just Lost. I want you to look at it. The, the story of the child is that the child gets lost in a mall and cannot find his mother and is looking all over for his mama. And I've got to imagine that this is a scare thing for this little critter. And this little critter is very scared. And so the author says, I wanted to cry, but I, what, didn't. I was, what, brave instead. This is how we raised. This is how we raise children sometimes. And did you know that if this becomes the concept, everybody say concept. If this becomes the concept placed in the mind of a child, 
that the neurochemicals will release according to that concept. Meaning, what I'm saying is concepts we learn give meaning to the neurochemicals we release. That's how neuroscience works. So over the course of time, you know what this child may have a hard time doing in general? Feeling. Just feeling. Now, sometimes that happens when we become adults. Tragedies hit. Traumas hit. People who are supposed to love us, people who are, are supposed to be caregivers and nurturers, do things to us that are betrayals or that are hard or that are lost or that are hurt. And it does something inside of us and it changes how we feel. Like we said last Sunday, you can't control that you feel. You can only influence what you feel. There are times where we are formed in such a way that it can actually begin to influence what we feel. If I'm raised from a young age to believe explicitly, everybody say explicitly, explicitly that all people are made in God's image, including me, and that all people are made in God's image, regardless of their body, their ethnicity, their race, their gender, their socioeconomic status, but all people are made in God's image and are worthy of God's love, and there's no partiality with God. And I'm being specific, regardless of gender, ethnicity, race, and socioeconomic status, then I'm that concept that's placed in my mind, in my brain, will then provoke certain emotional responses in me when I get older, when I see the opposite of that taking place. Are you with me? But on the other side, if I'm raised in such a way to believe that my gender, my race, my ethnicity, and my socioeconomic status is the standard by which humanity is judged, then when I grow up and I see something happening to those who are inferior to me, it will provoke a totally different response, won't it? Because our emotions are in part socially constructed too. Last example, think about how you were raised in church. Raise your hand if you were raised into belief that in church you're not to talk back to the pastor and you're to be out of reverence, you know, somewhat quiet. Raise your hand. All right. Raise your hand if you're courageous enough. To, that if you were told that in church you were allowed to just shout back to the pastor, shout at the songs, and just even dance. Where y'all at then? Like, I've been looking for dances the whole, like, like uh, okay, yeah. So, I was raised, not, now here's what I found. When we were at, when we lived in Texas, um, the, the, in the nation of Texas, and we were in, um, we were in the state of Amarillo, uh, and we were serving this like thousand person church, and I had become an interim preaching pastor there, uh, and I was preaching to this uh, large congregation. And this congregation had a reputation of being the congregation for the marginalized and the outcasts. I'm telling y'all, during football season, it would be Laura Hill and Stephen Barrett's dream. During football season, people would come to church in full-on Dallas Cowboy gear. And some of them even with Dallas Cowboy face paint in church. I'm talking like in church. I hear you, right? Yeah. <laughs> Repent and be baptized. All y'all who believe that that's all, no. But that's how they, they, they would do that. Like, they would come, and I would see, and, and it would just be, you know, it'd be a worship service. And I would think to myself, I bet these same people who come to church service all in Dallas Cowboy gear, I bet their emotional expression and the liberty they feel in their spirit to rejoice and celebrate at a football game is the opposite of how they feel at church. 
Why? Because we're taught when you go to a sporting event at a young age, the concept, everybody say concept, placed in our mind about emotional responses to a sporting event is that you're allowed to be like, woo, yeah, and you wear your gear and you're pumped up and you're excited and your chest bumping. Or if you're my wife, you throw your son up in the air and then the husband has to catch him. Whatever. I mean, whatever. Things like that. True story. Things like that that happen. Like you feel that that's okay. But then when you come to church and you're talking about the God of heaven and earth, like the Christ who is the king of all things, the one who gives eternal hope from the deepest part of our being. Somehow we're taught young, some of us, that we're to just be quiet. You see the difference? What I'm not doing is judging that. I'm simply illustrating that our emotions can also be socially influenced. What if instead you let yourself be free? And you were told over and over again that it is okay, that it is good to celebrate God. Because what we'll do is we'll quote it, we'll say, God is a God of decency and in order. Tell that to David dancing around the Ark of the Covenant naked. I'm just saying that's what he did. That was pretty much indecent. Like we have this belief that somehow these environments can only be expressed in certain contexts and that is exactly how formidable we are that's how formative that's how easily we are formed so what if you learn that it's okay to shout to give a gospel shout to let out a blues moan in the midst of a church service to lift your hands to clap to dance to give god praise let me ask you something Raise your hand if any time in our church services, in your time coming here, you felt something deep within your body as a result of something that happened in this service. Raise your hand. Thank you. And raise your hand if you wanted to let it out in some way, like you, you wanted to, but there was no way you wanted to, if you know what I'm saying. Like you just did not feel you could. Raise your hand. See? Right. Because our, even our emotions are socially constructed. So here's what I say. The God who made you is a God who created emotions. He gave you your brain and your nervous system, including the neurochemicals that are released when you see and feel things, for a reason. Live into the reason. I'm not asking you to be guided by your emotions. I'm asking you to let your emotions be confronted so you can influence them in a way that leads to the king of the cross. I'm just saying you can't confront You can't change what you don't confront. Some of us have deep struggles with our feelings because of our formation or because of things that happen. God can heal even that. We have to let God do that. And how do you do that? One little emotion at a time. Just one little emotion at a time. And learn to rest your mind in the truth of this final scripture of John, where John says to the Christians, he says, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set, everybody say this with me, set our hearts at rest in this presence. Learn to confront the emotions so that you can take those emotions, name those emotions, and tame those emotions by giving them to the presence of God in your life. Know that there is no emotion that you don't feel that God already doesn't know you feel. You can't hide that emotion from God. So just 
don't. Try, like, give yourself permission to not. If you need to cry, cry. If you want to laugh, laugh. If you feel like you need to dance, dance. Dance like nobody's looking. And for some of y'all, ain't nobody going to look anyway. Like, like, make sure, make sure you just let your, uh, that was wrong. Make sure that you just let, like, let that. See, even some of y'all were like, can I laugh at that? Like, that Fred just, he just made fun of people in church. Uh, if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is what? God's faithfulness is bigger than your feelings. So just learn the way of submitting your feelings to God's faithfulness. And beloved, be free. Be free. Be free on a Sunday morning. Be free on a Sunday night. And be free on a Tuesday afternoon. And the Holy Spirit of God will guide you. Because I believe the Holy Spirit wants us whole more than we want to be made whole. And I'm not your guy who's worried about slippery slopes because we're in community together. And if we get out of check, we'll hold each other in check because that's what the Spirit of God does in a people. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.